Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be in the first part of Matthew chapter 13 this week. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story from my life. Before coming here, worked at a church in Connecticut, and the house that we lived in, uh, eventually, that's a long story, but eventually we lived in a house on the church property. And we lived in southwest Connecticut. It is a very rocky area, which is beautiful because as you're driving along, there's just giant rocks sticking right out of the ground. The bedrock just pokes right through the dirt. It's really quite something to see, and there's kind of rocky outcroppings all over. But it's not the greatest soil. And so the church built this, uh, this house on the church property, and the builder that came in did something smart before he built the house. He stripped off all the topsoil and put it off to the side so that we could use it later for gardening and such. And house was built. We went to move in. And I went to start planting a yard. And the seed just would not grow. It just would not work at all. And suddenly it dawned on me, they never put the topsoil back. They stripped it all off, and it was all off to the side. But nobody put it back and spread it back over the yard And so it didn't really matter how hard I worked. And granted, I didn't work all that hard because I hate yard work. Just as a general rule, I think it's of the fallen of Satan. But anyway, um, I couldn't get the grass to grow. It just would not work. And in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, Jesus tells a parable, a parable that you might know and your Bible might even name it as the parable of the sower. That is an unfortunate name. Because that's not really what the parable is about. The parable is not actually about the sower. The parable is about the soil, the different types of soil, and why they respond or the difference that is made because of each one. We're introduced to the rocky soil, the soil that's hard along the path, the weedy soil, and the good soil. And each one of these will determine how the soil accepts the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, In this simple parable and the explanation that Jesus gives, which is wonderful, this is one of the few times that Jesus fully explains a parable for us so we can understand exactly what he's talking about. But in this parable and the explanation that follows, I want us to take notice of three important things. The first is that we all need to examine our own hearts and ask ourselves, which of the soils are we? What is the soil of our life, our heart? The second that we will see is that the gospel goes out into all the world, but not everyone will accept it. The third that we'll see is that in this passage, we see the absolute sovereignty of God as well as the responsibility of people to make their own choices. And there is, in Jesus' mind, absolutely no contradiction between these two things. And so we're going to look at those as we walk through it. Now, let's look at the passage in chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. And let's just start by getting a sense of the context as Matthew introduces this to figure out what's going on here. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Now, that same day is important. Because if you look right back to Matthew chapter 12, there's a lot that happened right before this. 
The most significant thing is that the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, condemned Jesus. Not just, hey, we're not really sure if you're the Messiah. They said, you are the devil. You are working with the power of Satan. And Jesus said, there's no coming back from that. We talked last week about the unforgivable sin. That it was impossible after that moment for those Pharisees to repent of what they had just done. It was so serious. So that's the context. And then there's also the context even at the end of Matthew chapter 12 of Jesus' mother and brothers coming and saying, come on, Jesus, we kind of want to take you aside. And the implication is they, they want to get Jesus to back off of some of these things. And Jesus says, my mother and my brothers and my sisters, my family are those who do my will and the will of the Father who is in heaven. So there's this separation between those that refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is, those who are struggling to acknowledge, and then through and in and all of it are the disciples who are right there and they are learning and growing. And so as we come to this, that same day Jesus went out on the house and sat by the lake. Matthew is trying to get us to get in this frame set of this is what's going on. This parable in many ways is Jesus' way of explaining why all of this is happening. This large crowd has gathered to hear him preach. Jesus gets out on a boat, moves a little way from the shore. A lot of different theories why he did that. Sound travels better. He's up in the boat a little bit. I, I don't really know. It's what he does. It's what it says. Gets out in the boat. But the interesting thing is this crowd. All different people. Some excited about the Messiah. Somebody, some wanting to see a miracle. Some wanting to be healed. Some just wanting to be entertained. Some with doubts. Probably still some Jewish leaders kind of hanging around. And so as we come to the parable... Understand that when Jesus is describing these different types of soils, he's looking out at the crowd that represents the soils. He's talking about them. And as we read this today, we are in many ways the crowd. We are the soils. And we have to ask ourselves, which soil are we? Now, later on, I'll show that we are also the sowers. Those that grow in Christ become those that sow in Christ. And so we have to look at that as well. So let's look at the parable briefly because I want to hold off on interpretation until later because that's what Jesus does. So let's look at the parable briefly. Verses 3 through 9. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, in this parable we see that Jesus is describing these types of soils. And Matthew introduces this by saying he told them many things in parables. If you flip forward in Matthew 13, the rest of this chapter is parables. And so we're going to look at some of the later ones in future weeks. But this parable is the parable that explains the other parables. And I'll show you what I mean by that in a moment. Now, the word parable is more than just a word illustration. It's more than just a word picture. It's also more than just a story. 
The word parable is a teaching that is thought-provoking, meant to cause the listener to go out and really ponder what has been said and to search out its meaning. Parables, the word parable, can cover things such as riddles. It can cover proverbs. Those are also considered parables. We tend to think of them as word pictures, and that's true, but Jesus uses some word pictures in other ways. If you remember in Matthew 6, he says, consider the birds of the air. He's saying, look, look they, don't, they don't sow, they don't reap, and yet God feeds them. So it's a word picture. He says, consider the lilies of the field. God clothes them. And he uses that as a picture to help people understand what he's trying to teach. What we have in this chapter is different. And I want you to see what Jesus is doing. We'll see in a moment that Jesus is saying that he is intentionally using parables so that some people will not understand what he's saying. Let that sink in for a moment, and we'll see what the Son of God says about that. A couple other things to notice about the parable. The farmer sows the seed generously. He doesn't go around and say, whoop, good soil, I'll put it there, good soil, put it there, good soil. He just tosses it. Some lands in bad places, rocky places, places the farmer knows, probably never going to grow. He keeps sowing the seed. The difference that we see in the reception of the seed has nothing to do with the seed. You know, we live in a world that says, well, your truth is your truth. And it's almost like, well, this is my seed, and this is my seed, and my seed grows well in my soil, and your seed grows well in your soil. Jesus goes, "Uh uh-uh. One truth. One truth. And the reason some accept it and some don't is because of the situation of the soil in their own life. There are four different types of soil. We have the edge of the path, which is hard packed and dense, and the seed can't grow there. It can't take root at all, and the the birds swoop in and eat it. We have the rocky soil, which is shallow, and it springs up quickly, but then the the sun comes and scorches it. We have the thorny, or what might be called the weedy soil, where it falls in, where it's not in the field, and other weeds and plants are growing up around it and choke it out. And then, of course, we have the good soil that produces the harvest. And the harvest, he talks about the crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. These are actually not spectacular harvest numbers. This was a fairly average, if even below average, harvest. I've heard it preached like, oh, it's just miraculous, way beyond what they could ever expect. That's not actually the case. This was a fairly average harvest. But notice also what the emphasis is. The emphasis is on the harvest. The farmers don't go out and see one little thing that springs up one day and say, oh, that's great, you've sprung up, and, and oh, it doesn't really matter if you don't make it to the harvest because it's just great to see you growing. The farmer goes out and goes, oh, I hope it makes it to the harvest. The emphasis is on whether or not there is fruit produced at the harvest. This will be important because so often we want to ask the question, is this person with this soil saved or not saved? To the farmer, the only question is, was it present at the harvest? Nothing else matters. If the plant does not produce for the harvest, it is worthless to the farmer. Jesus gives this parable with no explanation. Imagine the people going home after this, and this is ringing in their ears, and they're thinking of this story, and I wonder, you know, some of them might have thought, well, he's crazy. That's a bunch of nonsense. I can't accept that at all. I don't even know what he's talking about. Forget that. 
Some might have interpreted it in a way that was kind of a life skill. Hmm, that teacher, good teacher, he wants me to be a better farmer in my life. I need to be more conscientious about how I spread seed in my field. That's what he's talking about. They're kind of relating it to themselves. Some would say there's something there. And I really want to get it. It's something important. And they would spend time talking with others. What does this mean? Spend time searching scripture. Help me to understand. Crying out to the Lord in prayer. God, help me to understand what you are talking about. And Jesus is going to say that those responses are the exact reason why he uses parables. So before he explains the parable, he's going to tell us a little bit about the purpose of parables. Because the disciples are going to come and ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, it's a little difficult to understand what's going on. It's possible Jesus is in the boat and the disciples are still in the boat and they're a little bit away from the crowd and they're having a private conversation. It's possible this happened later as well. We just don't really know. What is obvious is this is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples that the crowd did not hear. It is a private conversation conversation. 11 through 12, he says, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more in what they have, or, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Do you like grammar? Said no one ever. Grammar. There's a phrase there, has been given. Part of grammar is that. Called passive. Do you ever have those teachers? Those teachers. You're writing in the passive voice. You've got to write in the active voice. The subject should be doing the action, not the action happening to the subject. That's the passive voice. The action is happening to the subject. Drove me nuts when teachers said that. Because I was like, the action is happening to the subject. What am I supposed to say? Even Microsoft Word, I type things in and a little jagged line comes up. Like, oh. This is the passive voice. Consider using the active voice. The Son of God used the passive voice, okay? It's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. Enough said. But it's important. Because the action is happening to the subject. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Understand what Jesus is saying to his disciples. God is giving you the information about heaven and not to some others. He's not saying as disciples, you guys have figured it out. That's not what he's saying. It has been given to you. The disciples are the you and the crowds are the them. And the thing being given is the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Some will be given this knowledge. Some won't. He's not saying some will get it. Some will understand it and some won't. He's saying some will be given it and some won't. I find it unavoidable that what Jesus is saying is that God will sovereignly choose who receives this knowledge. D. 
D.A. Carson writes, Jesus' answer cannot legitimately be softened. At least one of the functions of parables is to conceal the truth or at least to present it in a veiled way. That's a tough truth to accept. It's a big picture of a God who is sovereign over all things. But let's look at the rest of what he says, because he's not done. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. He's saying all will look at it in the same way, but some of them will get it, and some of them won't. Here the difference is in the listener or the hearer. And it's on them to understand or not to understand. So in one sense, Jesus can say it is God's sovereign choice who gets it. In another breath, he can say some of them will choose to accept it and some won't. And as modern people, we want to go, God, explain this to us. And God's answer is, trust me, I've got this. And so often I see Christians go, I'm not going another step further until I figure all of this out. And at that point, I want to remind us, God is God, we are not. God doesn't need our advice on these matters. We need to trust him and continue to sow the seed. He says in verses 14 through 15, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. The context of that quote from Isaiah is is Isaiah chapter 6, where the nation of Israel as a whole is abandoning God. And God calls Isaiah. And I remember as a, a young person, the call of Isaiah was just so powerful to me where God says, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah steps up, here am I, Lord, send me, right? It's the rousing cry to missions. And this is what God says next. You are going to go and they're not going to listen to you whatsoever. In fact, they'll turn against you and your preaching will actually make their hearts harder. That's a different call to missions than we want, isn't it? We want to be used and effective. But God calls Isaiah to say, you're going to call out and so many are going to reject me, the message of the kingdom of God. So we have verses 16 to 17. But blessed are your eyes, he's speaking to the disciples, because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and long to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. Why do the disciples understand more than the crowds? Why do they get it? What's the difference there? The difference is because the disciples are with Jesus, and Jesus is the source of truth, and he is the one who tells them what it all means. Friends, Christianity is not a subject to be studied. We can't sit on the sidelines with our arms folded and the Bible in our lap like an educational textbook and say, I'm going to figure this all out. God didn't call his disciples to sit down and read a book. He said, come, follow me. And wherever he went, they were to be with him. 
This is why the disciples understood things that nobody else did. Because they were with Jesus. As we follow Jesus, we will learn more about the depths of God's salvation and his wisdom and his righteousness. Those that want to stand at a distance and not walk with their Savior, Jesus Christ, will not be able to figure these things out. Jesus says that some will understand his message and some won't. And he gives us two reasons. One reason is that the people will make choices and they are responsible for those choices. The other reason he gives is that God is sovereign and God sovereignly chooses. Two answers in the same passage by the Son of God. We need to trust in our all-powerful, merciful, and gracious God. Now let's look at the explanation of the parable, verses 18 through 23. Here, Jesus lovingly and graciously explains the parable so that his disciples will understand. And, And I just love this because he's teaching them something that on their own they won't get. And here the Son of God is peeling back the mysteries of who God is and how his kingdom works so that we can get a glimpse and understand. Look at verses 18 and 19. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When every or anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That or this is the seed sown along the path. Here we have the first soil. You have the path, and then right outside the path is where people sometimes have to walk to go around other people, or they kind of wander off the path. But it's hard packed. It's dense. The seed cannot take root whatsoever. This is the hardened heart. It says the evil one comes and snatches the seed away. Verses 20 and 21. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed goes, oh, I need Jesus. Oh, this is great. Want to be a Christian? They seem to be so excited and on fire for Christ. It looks like it's going to be a great plant with a great harvest. But it has no depth. There's no rootedness to it. It is shallow and easily scorched by the things going on in this world. Friends, I think this is a picture of most of Christianity today. If I could be blunt. I think so many churches around the world are preaching a message of Christianity that keeps people shallow and easily burned up. A relationship with Christ is day in, day out, trusting and following. It is not a once a week coming to be excited and pumped up. Following Christ is hard. It requires depth. It requires pouring over his word, gathering with Christians saying, hey, I'm struggling, can you help me? And a brother and sister in Christ saying, let me point you to the truth of God's word. Let's sink our roots down deep together. We need a deeper Christianity in America. And then we go to the next one, and it doesn't get much better. Verse 22, but the seed falling on the good, oh, I'm sorry, 
But the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus explains that the thorns are the worries of this life. As I read this, I think of thorns as something that poke and hurt and they're annoying because they jab. That's not the point here. If you're a stalk of grain, a pointy, sticky thorn is not really the issue. You can grow up through that, no problem. The problem is that there's a bunch of other weeds, other plants, so close together that that seed cannot get the water, the sunlight, and the nutrients that it needs. And so as it grows up, it is choked out. See, when I think of a a thorn, I think of an immediate, like, ow, that hurts. This is a slow and steady an unnoticeable strangling. We have to think as the farmer thinks. I said that the last picture of soil, the rocky soil, was, I think, a picture of most Christians in our country, at least. I think this one covers a lot of us as well. We are so easily choked by distractions. What Jesus is saying here is a Christian with divided loyalties. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think so many Christians today have divided loyalties. I think we all struggle with it at any given time. We serve God and money. We serve God and politics. We serve God and social movements. We serve God and success. We serve God and personal happiness. We always want to add that and on. We want that other plant right there. Makes us feel good. It helps us. It encourages us. And what Jesus is saying is it's choking the life out of you. The great irony is that in trying to keep our freedom to choose our own personal and, we end up enslaved and choked and strangled and unfruitful. And then we come to verse 23. And as hard as this parable is, here's the hope. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. There is good soil. The soil is good not only because it has been made good, but because the farmer has tilled it. He has fertilized it. He has worked it. God has prepared people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the word would plant deep in their soul and produce fruit. They are ready to hear, hungry to learn, eager to accept. You know, we want to look at each one of these and ask, are they saved or not saved? I think that really misses the picture. I think that misunderstands the parable. What Jesus is saying is, look at each one and ask, is there a harvest or not? And the only one from which there's a harvest is the good soil. I want us in conclusion here to consider three ways this applies to us. The first way is that we are the soils. 
We, each one of us, need to take a hard look at this parable and say, God, how am I the soil along the path? How am I the rocky soil? How am I the soil that's being choked out by thorns? And how am I good soil? God, do your work of revealing which I am and where I need to be at work and submit to you. Some of us, our hearts have grown hard. We don't want to accept the truth of God. And our Heavenly Father needs to take His farm implement in to break up that ground. Some of us are the shallow soil on rocky dirt. And we need to be tilled and changed. And we need to grow deep. Some of us are allowing the things of this world to choke out the message of truth. And we are living distracted lives. We need to ask God to transplant us and remove those things from our lives that are choking out his truth. And I pray many of us are the good soil. But we need to ask ourselves, which soil and how am I like this? Imagine for a moment an apple farmer. And he's outside his orchard and somebody asks him if it was a good year. And the apple farmer thinks for a moment. And he says, you know, it's been the best year ever. My trees look more healthy than ever. They are glistening in the sun. They're perfectly pruned, wonderful straight lines. My orchard looks better than it ever has before. So the other guy says, so you've gotten a really great crop of apples. You've gotten a lot of apples this year. And the farmer says, nope, not even one. And my point is, God's not looking for us to be good-looking Christians. He's looking for us to be fruitful And fruit comes from sinking our roots into the word and the truth of God. So we need to consider which soil we are. Secondly, we need to understand that as Christians, we become sowers. Think about it from the perspective of a stalk of grain for a moment. The stalk of grain, if they could think, which they don't, but just ignore that for a second. But if they could, they're not sitting there thinking, man, I want to help this farmer out. Why does the grain produce heads of grain? So that that grain will fall to the ground and do what? Grow. The whole point of the fruit for a plant is to produce other plants. Our fruit is to bear more fruit. So in this sense, when we become Christians, we also become sowers. We see this in the Great Commission. Jesus says, therefore, go, make disciples. We see it in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A good gardener has a green thumb. Good at tending the plants, raising them up, taking care of them. You know, you might not think you have a green thumb when it comes to spreading the gospel. But God is good. And he uses messed up people like us to sow the seeds generously. And he knows the condition of the soil. And he causes the crops to grow according to his good purposes. Our role is to scatter the seed. And this parable helps us to understand, yes, some of your friends, yes, even some of your family members will not accept it. Don't stop. Keep scattering. Because you don't know the work that God's doing in that person's heart. You don't know that the soil might be changing and that seed might bear fruit later on. Keep on sowing. Keep on scattering the seed. 
So the first is that we are the soil. The second is that we are also the sowers. The third, the crop, the soil, the field, the harvest, the rain, the sun, everything belongs to God. He is sovereign over all of it. We need to understand and rejoice in the absolute sovereignty of God as well as the truth of understanding that people will make their decisions. But through all of it, we need to trust that God knows what he is doing. And we need to go out and sow the seed. Some will accept it. Some won't. Let's keep on sowing the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been good to us. You generously sow the seed of the gospel, the message of the kingdom into our lives. And God, we know from your word that apart from your work, we cannot accept that gospel. God, you are the one that tills the soil and prepares it to hear the message. But we also bear responsibility to respond. And Father, I pray as each one of us considers the condition of the soil in our own hearts, may you challenge us. Open up our eyes to be honest with ourselves. Where we are hard-hearted. Where we have rocky soil. Where we are being choked out by thorns. And where we are growing. And you have done that work of tilling the soil in our lives. And Father, I pray as a church that everything that we do and our programs and our relationships would be constantly tilling and preparing that soil in people's lives, constantly planting those seeds, nourishing and nurturing those seeds so that they may grow into a harvest for you. And that that harvest would overflow as we sow the gospel in other people's lives. And Father, I pray, as hard as it is to understand these deep things that Jesus is talking about, may we trust that you are God and we are not. May we understand that things happen because of your will. May we also understand that people make choices. And how those two things work together is hidden inside your sovereign will and your mysterious wisdom. But we will trust you and just keep on following. May we draw close to you. That you might do that work in our hearts that only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen.